Hey everybody, it's Matty C. Welcome back to the What Am I Making podcast. It's really great to have you here. This time around, I chat with promoter and booking agent Nate DeRoe. Over the course of two decades, he's gone from booking VFW halls for local bands to booking major festivals. We talk about the state of shows after COVID, corporate control of data, and why there's no such thing as a free show. Let's get into it. How you doing? It's Maddie C. Uh, so this is wild. By the time you listen to this, I'm I'm gonna be in Asia. That's that's how this is gonna work. I, I can't even pretend to understand all the different time warps and wrinkles of of black holes or whatever that are gonna that are gonna take place to make this all happen. But here's the deal. I'm recording this at 7:43 in the morning on Saturday, November 4th. Uh, in roughly 16 hours, I'm gonna get on a flight. In Chicago, Illinois, and I'm going to fly with my mother to Vietnam, and then we're going to go to Vietnam, Cambodia, and Thailand for 17 days. We're going to be there, um, and, and we're going to come home on Thanksgiving Day. And uh, by the time you listen to this, we will uh, we will have landed in Vietnam, and we will be experiencing our first taste of of Southeast Asia. And I'm unspeakably excited um i'm incredibly so fortunate and 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 grateful to be able to to do this at all but to be able to do it with my mom is just it's unreal and um she doesn't know this yet but what i'm going to try to do is i'm going to try to get her to record a conversation with me a couple of times while we're traveling so that we can kind of recap what we've seen how we're feeling about it, where we are that day, and we can share some of our feelings in those uh, moments. And I'd like to share those as podcasts if I can. I'm, this is all based on my mother's willingness, time, and technology, but I think I can pull this off with what I have and what I'm taking. So I hope that you will get a couple of updates from me and and my mom. Uh, by the way, uh, if you don't know, my, my mom is Ama. Uh, that is the name that Madeline, my oldest daughter, gave to her when she was very, very young because she couldn't say grandma. And uh, ama in uh, Spanish, colloquially colloquially speaking, uh, means she loves. And uh, so my mother thought that was a pretty perfect handle. So you'll hear my uh, my mom referred to as ama frequently. That's, uh, that's why. So ama and I are going to Asia, and uh, I can't hardly stand how excited I am. So uh, we leave in just a matter of hours. So... Um, Again, by the time you hear this, we will have landed and we will be in Vietnam. Uh, enough about me and my ridiculously fortunate ass. Let's, uh, let's get on to the podcast and, uh, and some of the stuff that's going on here. So, uh, first of all, are you listening to WAIM Radio? I, I do a radio show once a week over at Rockin' the Suburbs uh, Radio. It's uh, suburbsradio.com. Every Friday at noon, I have a live show. And if you're paying attention to the Substack, to the blog, uh, I am posting, uh, usually every week, I'm posting a question that is related to the theme that week. So, for example, uh, recently I did one where I was like, hey, what's your favorite song about 
a color and people chimed in and had a million ideas and it was, it was really great to hear from people. And so I'm going to keep doing that because it was really fun and it seemed to get a lot of new people involved. And again, one of the things I really want to do here is create community. So make sure you're keeping an eye out for those and make sure you're participating. Don't just answer with your answers, but look at other comments and, and get involved and maybe meet some people. I don't want to sound like a, a scout leader here, but uh, that's how it works. Uh, make sure you're also listening to all those archived episodes after an episode posts. Uh, a few days later, I typically do a recap, and you can see a track list of the songs that I included, a little intro on the the theme, and then there's a link so that you can go and listen to the show. Uh, the other thing that we've got going on uh, on the regular is we've got this uh, Steven Spielberg bracket challenge going on where we are literally winnowing down the filmography of America's Greatest Director into one single winner. Uh, it's uh, a rather daunting task, but it's been really fun, and it's been really so sweet to have all of your help. So make sure you're voting in that. We've got uh, rounds coming up soon. What's happening right now is the way that I'm planning to post these, uh, and I'll, this will continue to happen while I'm gone, I hope. Uh, I'm scheduling these as we speak, but uh, there will be a new uh, set of matchups every Saturday, and then you'll have three days to vote. So make sure that you're keeping an eye out on those. If you're listening to this on the day that this posts, uh, we just posted one this past Saturday, and you still can vote today. Um, There are two matchups there. I don't remember off the top of my head what they are, and I don't have them in my notes, but uh, get over there. Go to whatamimaking.substack.com and get your votes in. Uh, the other thing that has recently become a semi-regular thing that I'm really hoping to spend some more time working on is a new series of essays I'm calling the Rideshare Files because I'm old and I want it to be cute and I want it to tie it into some piece of culture. And so the Rockford Files and the Rideshare Files were just too damned easy to tie together. So what I am doing is every so often I am posting some stories of my experience as a driver for Uber and Lyft. I just shared a couple of stories uh, about a young woman who got some incredible news and uh, a trio of boys who were off to a formal event and weren't quite as prepared as they needed to be and how Maddie C. might have saved the day. Uh, I'm going to be telling lots of these kinds of stories. Uh, this has been I've been doing this now for a little over two months, close to three months, and it's really incredible. Uh, the people that I meet, the stories that I hear, and the things that I see... So I want to be sure that I'm sharing as much of that as I can with you. Um, it's it's really amazing the shit that I see. I I can't wait to to share some of this with you. I really need to be like recording interviews in my car. Uh, I, I've got a guy who literally I'm working on getting an interview with him based on an interview I did with him in my car on the way to, to the airport in Detroit in a 90-minute ride. We had I should have just recorded the damn conversation. It was amazing. Anyway, keep an eye out for the Rideshare Files. There's more of those coming soon. There's a couple out now. Uh, make sure that you're keeping your, your, your peepers open for those because I think those are going to be a lot of fun and they're going to be super interesting. Um, I also recently posted uh, REM's... Uh, 10 to 6th best records uh, the week before last, I think it was. And uh, that was really, really, really hard. Uh, They are, as you are probably well aware, my favorite band. And parsing out their discography has been even more difficult than I expected it would be. Uh, So go over there and check out 10 through 6. I don't know that I'm going to have time to get the top five done and do it right while I am gone. So that's probably going to happen after Thanksgiving. So you can look forward to that in late November or early December. And uh, again, make sure that you're going back and you're checking out those archived episodes of uh, WAIM. Uh, Lastly, 
Did you know there's merch? Yep, there's WAIM merch. You can find What Am I Making t-shirts and hoodies available now for pre-order. I have to have them as pre-orders, gang, because I can't afford to buy a whole bunch of these and then have them sit in inventory. So here's what I'm doing. I'm trying to get these ordered no later than the 10th of December. So I need you to, if you could... Go over to fornafarrecords.com slash shop slash what am I making? Or you can just find the ads pretty much in each post that we do uh, on the blog. So every Substack is going to have a link in there. If you're interested, if you like them, this is an incredible way to support the show. Uh, your paid subscriptions, which I will talk about in a minute, are kind of the engine that drives this thing. But I'm trying to find some ways to generate a little revenue, create a little bit of buzz, and maybe get something that people are excited about. Uh, if this isn't a good way to do that, I'd love to hear from you other ways that we might be able to do that to uh, help me earn a part of my living by doing this show. Again, the best way to do that is to support me with a paid subscription. You can go over to whatamimaking.substack.com. Right now, that doesn't get you any free, or excuse me, doesn't get you any extra goodies uh, because I'm trying to keep the blog free so that everything is available to everybody. I will admit that that's getting more and more difficult. I'm getting more and more feedback from different sources at Substack and different things that I'm that I'm learning about the way to kind of monetize this. And it, it appears that the best way to do that is to kind of tease posts and then encourage people to subscribe to read the rest of it. I don't want to prevent anybody from seeing and reading my stuff, but I also need to make sure that I'm making a little money from this. So if you haven't signed up yet for a subscription, you can go to whatamimaking.substack.com and sign up for a subscription for as little as $5 a month. Uh, you can sign up for a monthly, a yearly, or a founding member subscription. Any of those would be very humbling and much appreciated. That is how this thing works. Uh, I need that. As as I told you earlier, we are trying to grow this, this space with both more free subscribers and more paid subscribers. So if you enjoy what we do and you can afford it, I sure would appreciate it if you'd go over and sign up for a paid subscription. Also make sure that you are liking, rating, and reviewing this pod wherever you listen to it. Uh, That's a really easy thing. It's free and it only takes a minute. It makes an enormous difference. I'm asking you, I'm humbly pleading with you, take 30 seconds, go in, write a two-sentence review, like it, give it a thumbs up, however your pod provider does it, comment on it, however, however you need to. It's, it's a way for the algorithm to realize more people are engaging with it, and it increases the likelihood that our feed will wind up in somebody else's, uh, excuse me, our podcast will wind up in somebody else's feed. The idea is we need to get in front of more eyeballs to get into more ear holes. It's, it's pretty simple. So make sure you like, rate, and review the pod wherever you listen. Lastly, did you know you can leave us a voicemail? It's true. You can go to speakpipe.com slash what am I making and you can leave me a good old fashioned voicemail using the microphone on your computer or your telephone. And uh, you can uh, leave me a message about what you'd like to hear on the show, maybe a guest idea that you have, a comment, a criticism, uh, a thought, uh, feedback, why I'm an idiot. Uh, somebody you'd like to have back on anything, uh, anything and everything. I would love to hear from you. The more you can communicate, the more this becomes a community and the more this becomes representative of everybody that's involved. So let's get into the reason we're here. Our guest. Nate DeRoe is exactly the kind of person that I love to spotlight here at What Am I Making? He is a dude who is making shit happen. In his case, that shit is live shows. More than 3,500 of them, in fact. In roughly 20 years of booking, Nate has seen the entire landscape of live shows change completely. 
As corporate control has squeezed every last drop of profit from the live music machine, the underground and DIY scene has also changed. As technology and ways of communication have ebbed and flowed, it's led to periods of feast and famine for both artists and audiences. We go back to Nate's very first show at a commuter college in a small Michigan town and how he built a business by booking VFW halls for high school bands. Nate's maintained that fierce independence as he continues to find a way to carve out a live booking, live music life without having to engage with the industry behemoth that is Live Nation. Nate also offers some sage advice for bands who might be letting their self-confidence and bravado mask their actual and true intentions. We discuss an idea I'm calling cultural Newtonianism. Essentially, it's the concept that once the momentum of culture begins to speed up, it begins to become very difficult or even impossible to change its trajectory. This concept is now directly tied to the way that musicians are paid and the way that listeners can now listen to almost all of recorded music in history for just a few bucks a month. In the end, this is a story of determination, resolve, and doing what is necessary to keep a scene moving forward. Nate and I jump in almost immediately with no intro in classic Maddie C style. I just immediately start talking questions and my curiosity takes over and we're off. So now, enjoy my chat with Booker, man about town, and a dude who makes shit happen, Nate DeRoe. So let's just jump right out the gate. Let's. This is how I, this is how I, I just pitched it to you in our quote unquote uh, pre-interview. Uh, why are you still fighting this fight? We're all we're all like we've been through COVID, <laughs> dealt with all that bullshit, dealt with all the difficulty of that industry anyway. What what makes you get up every day and go? I don't care how fucking hard this is. I'm going to do this again tomorrow. Oh geez. Um I I always give the easy answer of it's the only thing I know how to do, which is obviously bullshit. It's bullshit. Um, it's the because... only thing that I think I feel like I know how to do anymore is this idea of uh begging people to gather in a space and support a thing. Um but I also there are still the moments that like are the payoff. I used to work in retail and I always use this as kind of a, a comparison to where I am now. Um, I worked in like a Home Depot and I worked at a Staples and I worked at a sporting goods store. And okay. between the three, um, no one ever wanted to buy like a new toilet right? Like you don't, you don't desire that right. very often. Maybe you want to get a fancy toilet or whatever, but nobody wants to buy a fax machine, especially in the year 2023, but like nobody ever wanted that. But when I worked at the sporting goods store, people wanted to buy a kayak. They wanted to buy a new baseball bat. They wanted, and just the, 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 the payoff that comes from like taking somebody's income, ancillary, like side income, and they can buy something that brings enjoyment to their life. So we get that payoff as a promoter, right? And and right. it's similar to why bands still do it because the pay isn't there. Clearly, it doesn't. Clearly. You know, it doesn't pay for itself. Um, 
but the payoff is still great and special and awesome when it happens the way that it should. And as I've gotten older and better at this, I guess, um, I steer myself to that payoff a little more often because I shy away from the things that like maybe were so where the payoff sucked, whether it was a terrible show, you know, a show that I didn't like or didn't care for, or, you know, I also steer away from like, hopefully for the most part, um, the nights where there's 12 people there and the payoff right. is like, it, right. but, you know, ultimately still at the end of the night where we, we work in music, um, music is a thing that we choose to do. It's not a thing that we have to do. Right. Um, and that alone, I guess, is the why, right? And then mm-hmm. on top of that, there's a bunch of sub um, factors involved with like, you know, what's kept me independent versus like trying to join one of the corporations and all that kind of thing. I think part of that is is my uh, fierce uh, slash um, I've consistently throughout my life run my head up against a wall just in order to do it over and over again. Stubbornness, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. My stubborn independence, right? Um, I could probably have taken a gig with Live Nation or AEG a long time ago, except now I've spoken so openly about how my hatred for them for so many years that I know I'm on the do not hire list, you know? Right. Um, You've, You've talked yourself out of a job. I've burned the bridge that it was never extended to me in the first place. Right. Right. Um, And, and that's okay. You know, I think there are days when I wish that I had, I don't know, maybe set a tone earlier on where I would be a little more uh, accepting of the corporate way of life, but I'm also, I don't shop on Amazon. I don't shop at Walmart. I don't, you know, there are certain things that I just, and I, and I don't want to like take this too far down the rabbit hole, Nate, but like I also sure. feel like when you when you say I'm gonna go to my local bar that's 15 minutes from my house, and I know there are three bands playing and I don't know who the hell they are, and I'm gonna pay ten dollars or whatever it is to get in, and I'm gonna have a couple drinks and I'm gonna try to engage in this thing. That to me is like the cultural version of buying local. Right. Yep. Um, Because what you're saying is you're saying, I, I believe in this entity, whether that's the bar down your street or this promoter or that band enough to go and kind of have a leap of faith. And it's, you know, so many people are like, well, you got to keep the price low. And I'm like, you do, but it's really more about getting them there and getting them to give up the night for you. It's not the 10 or $15. It's that they set aside an evening or a part of an evening to go to your thing when they don't get that many free evenings that they get to do something with. And now they're they're literally almost like handing one over to you. They're giving it out as charity in a way to say, I, I want to believe in this thing or it's important to me. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people think that music is a thing that just happens. And when it happens, it happens like a big blockbuster movie. And so Taylor Swift just materializes out of nowhere and the Beatles just appear, you know, in a studio and in in London. And I don't know that people really realize that like the next big band 
that could be your favorite thing is like maybe 15 minutes from your house. Yeah. Yeah. They could be playing the Avenue or the logger house like this right. weekend. And I think that, you know, it's funny. Um, I'm, I feel like I'm DIY, but I don't like the term or the, mm-hmm. or the, what comes with it. Right. Um, just in the same way that I don't drink or smoke, but I don't call myself straight edge. I don't need that category. Categorization. <laughs> sure. Um, but like, yeah, to me, the difference between 10 and $17 is not, or, or whatever it is, you know, $5 and $15, there's, there's really not that much of a difference. Cause you're right. Even if you multiply that times, like three people with it, riding the car with you, you know, the idea of coming up with 20 bucks to go to a house show or, or $60 right. to go to a bar show, it really, to me, that's the same, right? It, like the difference for me is, is a $5 house show versus the Taylor Swift show. And let's, and let's be honest, if somebody showed up and said, look, man, I, I only have $3 in cash and enough to I'm buy two beers. In, I'm right? letting yeah. you in. Right. Yeah. I'm going to take, we're not going to let, I'm not going to let money be an impediment. So we're sitting here and we're basically money is a false impediment because if you do this the right way, and I think we've both done this the right way and I hope you continue, but you've, you're, you're, you should be setting a tone within your community that that's the culture that like, yes, money's important. Everybody needs to earn a living from this thing, but there's a, there's a, like, there's a point at which you just don't drop a check, right? You just go, let's, let's let this one in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes and no, you know, obviously there's an economy to everything, right? Um, Even when you go back to your house show scene, you know, like it costs money to heat the house. If there's somebody paying rent on the building, the, the chips and salsa you buy, uh, cost money there's an economy to everything there's nothing truly it's uh, it's like a lunch there's no such thing as a free show yeah right right um you know people's time is worth something the gear they bought the gas they spent to get there all those kind of things so like you know as long as you're understanding what it is that you're trying to do one of my favorite things to tell bands that i work with is like no matter what it is that you're honestly trying to accomplish with your music, I have a space for you. If you want to get together with your friends on the weekends and just get drink tickets and get ripped and play a gig in a dive bar, I've got that gig. And if you want to open for a band that's on the up and up and, you know, try to get signed and uh, try to get noticed and try to get on the road and, and, you know, with your eventual goal of, you know, I've had bands, local bands tell me their goal is to be the biggest band in the world, which I don't think that's a real honest thing to say to yourself when there's Taylor Swift in the world, you know, but like, if you want to play the industry game, I've got shows for that too. And I've got shows for everybody in between. So like, the thing that I behoove everybody in the industry to do is just be honest with your intentions. You know, what are your intentions? If your intentions are just to like, play gigs on stage, get ripped, have a great fucking night. Don't give a shit who's in the room. You know, all those things. Great. If your thing is like, you're a guitar nerd and you want to make your pedals, make whatever noise that they're going to make and like talk to other guitar nerds about your pedals, making that noise. Sick. Admit that. Tell us that, you know? Um, And if your goal is to sell out shows or to do, you know, whatever it is that you want to do in the industry someday, like, let's do that, you know? Um, and I have so many acts that kind of 
the self-confidence isn't there. So they kind of pretend to be something they're not. And then it plays out to be that, you know, you're like, Oh, you were the band that said you were going to sell out, but you treated this like the gig on the weekend with your friends where you were going to get ripped. And it shows that like, there's 12 people here tonight, you know? Right. I've Um, learned, learned I've learned how to read through those conversations to get to that point, you know, to where I can see who those people are generally, even if they can't sometimes, you know? Uh, and I like that your your whole request is just simply let's let's be open about what it really is. Yeah. Let's let's take a second if we're gonna put the, if we're gonna invest time and money in making this happen together. Let's figure out what's really going on here. What do you, what are you? So here's the deal. Like I always look at it from the standpoint of um, I I can't just simply say to a promoter whether it's you or somebody else, here's my band, like. That's not the band I have. It's just not. Um, I don't. I don't know that I need that band any any day of my life. Be nice, but I've learned to live without it. But what I can bring to it is I can go. All right, we've got X number of people that are on our mailing list and Y number of people that are on our Facebook thing, and we think we can move this much stuff. And what we're going to do is we're going to do this list of shit to make that happen. Yeah. And if I do all of that stuff. And it doesn't happen. I don't think I should look at you and go, boy, I failed. No, not at all. No, no, no. no. What I did was I didn't, I didn't get the expected result from the work. And maybe we look at it and go, okay, that amount of work didn't yield the result we thought. So we don't do that again. Or we don't have those expectations. The world is stacked against us, dude. I hate to say it. And it's oh, yeah. more and more every day. Everything you read on the news every bill that you pay, every fee that you pay, we're all just getting fleeced every minute of every day. And, you know, I think a lot of the successes that we have and the great things that happen to us are happenstance and they're they're moments in the algorithm that the algorithm let us have a victory. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there are moments where the algorithm, and I mean the algorithm of life, not just the algorithm of Facebook or Instagram or whatever. I I was picking up on that, but thank you right like it it just is what it is there's some days that you're just weren't going to win no matter what happened no matter how hard you work no matter how many boxes you check and that's okay like i i guess at age 44 uh i've learned that that is just the way it is and i always joke with with bands um you know i've done 3500 plus shows now right um people stopped coming to see me at shows a long time ago right um (laughs) So it doesn't matter. I mean, I don't want to say it doesn't matter because that's not what I mean. I mean that if you go through all of the motions and you go through all of the check marks and you do everything that you know how to do and it still doesn't pay off, then it probably never was going to. And that's okay. Like we need to appreciate the process more. We need to enjoy the thing. And I actually, I kind of offended an artist friend of mine, um, I'm not going to name names or anything, and she probably won't hear this, but we talked about it a little bit. You know, one of the things that I do at age 44 is I level with people in my age group and say, look, isn't it nice to like not be trying to be big anymore? You're just playing your your songs as your hobby again and for fun and with no expectation. And I, you know, I'm pretty good at uh, figuring out which of my artist friends are out there just like still doing it for themselves right right 
um, without the idea that someday they might be on stage next to Beyonce at a festival lineup or something like that. Right. And I put that through to most people and the response that I get is, oh my God, I can't, I'm so happy that you can see it that way because I feel it that way and I'm more comfortable with my songwriting output and my <laughs> recording level and how we do live and all those things because I've taken the pressure off myself. And this this person who uh, I kind of leveled with her on that and she didn't say anything when I said it. And then like six months later, she's like, you really poked a hole in my balloon, dude, because I've been trying to go for it. And you kind of acted like I had given up or whatever. And it was just like, no, 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 no. I, I just like, I just see a confidence level in you that you're an adult and you do smart things and you do, you know, but you're not like running yourself down hallways that never end. You know what I mean? You're not like, right. And I think there's maybe a life, right. You're like, there's maybe a maturity that comes with being at a certain point. Like, so one of the best points that you can reach as, as an artist in any genre at any level is understand that, you have the power to say no. Oh God. Yeah. Even if you think I have to take every gig, I'm just getting to No, you don't. No one knows who you are. No one expects anything from you. If you turn down a shitty gig, all you're going to be known for is turning down a shitty gig. Okay. That's it. Yep. That's it. Um, maybe say yes to a gig and find out what a shitty gig looks like. <laughs> but I would say, don't do that a second time when you know that it's a shitty gig and your friends are like, don't do that again. Like, yeah. Don't be yeah, that bad. I mean, you, you just understand yourself more, right? You understand the project more, you understand your goals. And, and, you know, I think it's hard for me to say that because I'm, you know, at the point where this thing has to be a career for me now, you know, I, I, I transitioned from a hobby to a career. Well, let's, and let me stop you there and then we'll kind of talk about how that works. Yeah. So you started putting on shows were you still in high school when you started putting shows on? Oh, no, no, no. Um, so I I went to show, my first show that I ever went to was after my summer after my senior year of high school. So I didn't even go to a single concert in high oh, wow. school. Well, not true. I took my girlfriend to see Leanne Rhymes at the local county fair. Um, All right. That was probably my first show. Uh, my parents grew up with music in the house, but like concerts were just not a thing. And it's funny sure. because I, I didn't even know they really existed until late high school. Um, so I started going to shows through college. Um, again, I would go to shows and not even, it wouldn't even register to me that there was anyone getting paid there. Right. I mean, obviously you you knew you paid a ticket price that went to somebody, but like, there was nobody in that building to me other than the band on stage that was like, had a career. I just, it just never right. with me, um, which is kind of a freeing place to be, I guess, as a human being to just be like, look at this celebration that I paid for and who gives a shit where the money's going? I don't care. There's no, or, you, or you, just, you're so naive that you think all of it's going to the band or whatever. Like it didn't matter. It, I right. Care. It just, they could have been putting it in a bowl and lighting it on fire. Uh, I don't <laughs> It didn't matter to me. It never was sure. even a thought that crossed my mind, which is funny that I ended up in this business, you know, years <laughs> that later, is ironic where I'm counting every penny and just trying to divide it with the, you know, as, as uh, fairly and whatever as possible. Um, so I, I uh, went through college, 
the last year um, I was in college and, and I went to U of M for a couple of years. I was going to be an engineer. Um, I dropped out because I was just getting my ass kicked by math problems all the time. Oh, and God. I'm, I'm a really great math mind, but it just wasn't fun. You know, I didn't enjoy it. So I stopped going to class and it's a mess. Um, so I went to Baker College of Owasso, of all places, to get a business right. degree. Um, so it's funny to go from like one of the biggest colleges on the planet to like this little commuter school in a small town and then end up in the music industry, which is wild. But um, <laughs> the last couple years at Baker, or maybe the last year, I don't remember exactly. I was an RA, so I was like a residence hall narc, basically, you know, yeah. um, who just told on my uh people across the hall who were drinking or whatever you know or didn't and um but that's basically what i was but as an ra you had to put on two events per semester and each ra the other ras were like euchre night where they'd show up in the lobby with like a deck of cards put it on the table and like oh, i put on an event it's called you you know i put on a concert for my first couple um and i didn't know what that meant at the time i just like knew a local band i made them bring their drag their pa out um i had like freaking lava lamps on the stage and like oh wow desk lights lighting you know it was it was it was as diy as it came right and it was uh totally free and half of campus showed up but to the first oh my god you know and and campus back then was like 400 people lived on campus so we had about 200 come through um but that's when that first like spark hit where i was like oh I was the guy like put all of this shit together and I didn't know I had that in me. My mom was like the big, like for our family was the party planner for like Christmas. And she was the one we'd go to the grocery store and she'd know freaking everybody. And it was just like, mom, can we just get groceries and go home so I could be an antisocial, you know? And then apparently it's in my DNA that I'm like the guy who stirs that drink and gets people together in a building. So I did that. Um, did a couple more of them from that. I got asked to do like a local city festival in Owasso called Kerwood festival. Um, did that for one or two years. I don't remember. And then, you know, then came home to Livingston County. So even less uh, likely a, a music industry hub than uh, Owasso I come home to Heartland, Howell area, um, did some Googling, uh, went to mp3.com, which was an old website <laughs> that uh, hosted mp3s pre, or, you know, post Napster, pre pure volume, pre MySpace, all those things. Right. You could search for artists by zip code within radius, kind of like you can do on like Facebook marketplace or whatever. Sure. Now. So I found like 30 bands that were all like signed up for mp3.com in Livingston County here. And I don't know, I didn't know where I was just like, I got this bug to do something. So I just called a meeting and like emailed through mp3.com all of these artists that were, you know, showing as playing Howl. And like, we probably had 20 people show up to this impromptu meeting that I called in 2004 at a coffee shop in Brighton. And that night we laid out plans to start a thing called the Livingston Underground in Livingston County here, where we would rent VFW hall type places. I was the grown adult at that point, like I was 23 or 22, 24, whatever it was. Um, And I could sign paperwork, basically. I was old enough to do that and had a checking account. So 
um, I would rent the halls and we had a guy yeah. who, you know, I'd pay 75 bucks to bring a PA out. And we just started throwing hall shows here in Livingston County. And um, the first one was pretty bad. Um, <laughs> but then the second one was actually pretty cool. And maybe 150 kids showed up from around the area. Wow. Uh, and by the end of the year, we had done 60 shows. Um, this is 2004. And it was all flyering in schools and in the, in the three local high schools and you know we we built a little website and had a message board um and all the bands just kind of rallied to it and we built this thing called the livingston underground and then we did that for four years and i turned it into fusion shows in 2008 um at this point it's still a hobby and then from there the hobby kind of flipped with my career which at that time was doing like uh um adventure education so i was like a high ropes instructor and oh okay zip lines and all that kind of stuff oh wow so i kind of flipped those two that became more of the hobby outdoorsy stuff and i told my wife i said i need 18 months and this is like 2009 I said i need 18 months with fusion shows to be my main income um and you know 15 years later and 3500 plus shows later i'm still doing it that's um, amazing so it it just every time I'm like an intern or somebody who wants to be an intern or whatever says, how do I get started? I said, well, what I did is I just did it and I did it poorly and I did it well some nights and terrible other nights. And, you know, I just, I got some of the best advice in my life when I started doing this thing. Yeah. And the woman I interviewed maybe second for this, this podcast, uh, she paraphrased an Arthur Ashe quote and she said, just start. Just start with what you have, where you are, with how you can do it. And it's going to be what it's going to be. But it yeah. won't be anything until you start. And I'll be damned if if it isn't true every time. Starting a band, starting a podcast, starting a booking agency, starting a business. It ain't going to be anything if it just sits in your head. Yep. And I've always had the organizational bug. I've always been good at spreadsheets and, and organizing data which is a lot of what this industry is. I've always been good at um, getting the word out to people for things. How how are you using data now? I mean, obviously it's changed a lot in the time you've been doing this, but like specifically now, what in what ways are you kind of mining that data and using it so that you can promote shows more effectively? I mean, uh, yeah, um, I have a marketing team now, which is great. <laughs> who does a lot of that stuff. Um, I'm really good at collecting the data on the other side of it, on the talent buying side, on, on organizing. You know, obviously when your band has come, your various bands have come in, they go into my database and I've done a good job of connecting like-minded artists with opening opportunities, with the right venue, with the right, you know, all those kind of things. Sure. And that's just by building databases out of like what it sounds like, what the age demographic is, all those kind of things. And just kind of understanding that a little bit more. And then also creating Facebook groups and, and you know, following the right people so that I can get that information out when I've got an opening and being good at emailing and all that. But I think on the marketing side, man, has it got tough in the last i'd say three years and i well, i was just gonna ask as twitter has kind of 
firebombed into a heap of trash. Yep. And everyone has made a mass exodus. I've also noticed that anytime I do anything where I tag, even if it's my band on Facebook, it just it just plummets. The oh, traffic yeah. just drops. Yeah. If I put up a photo that's, hey, I have a show tonight, 75, 100 people like it. If I put up a thing that's, hey, I did this thing with the stick arounds, 12 people like it. You know, and it's like, yeah, I don't think one sixth of those people are liking it and the other f- five sixths aren't you know what i mean it's like they're just not seeing it no i think i think um you know when we started the thing in 2004 and we kept it hyper local we were kind of the end of an era right like i think that yeah why promoting as far as vfw hall shows and shit like that well like you were saying your flyer in high schools and you know that's your dad yeah, your yeah, demo it was, it was hyper local right and and it was because you didn't know what was going on in the next town because you didn't have it like fed to you all day long right um you know one of the difficulties with right now is that there is no regional dialect anymore like in livingston county it was always it was always interesting to me through that era that I was booking those hall shows, Howell, which is the town that I live in now, always had a couple of metalcore bands. Always, there was always a ska band in Howell. It was like a tradition that flowed through like the marching band, but there was always a ska band in Howell. Okay. Brighton is five minutes to the east. Brighton was always indie rock bands that either sounded like, you know, whatever the the indie rock band du jour at that moment was whether it was wilco or muse or the strokes or Or death cab or whatever and they're five minutes down the road they're literally like adjoining towns and heartland which is where i grew up and went to high school um always had heavy bands and then always had more like acoustic pop songwriting it was just this weird like even within this county three towns that are literally 10 minutes apart there was a regional dialect that flowed through the fact that like your younger brother played in a metal band. So you played in a metal band, right? And you went to see metal bands. So that's what you wanted to be. And, you know, we talk about like the, the Midwest emo scene and the American football bands and the Owen and all into it over and all the things. And then you go out and do Eastern Pennsylvania with the men's zingers and title fight and all that. And then you go to long island with brand new and taking back sunday there were these regional dialects that don't happen anymore they sort of happen but like i can be a fan now almost as intimately with a band from japan or australia as i could with the the band i grew up next down the street from in howell because like we all just stare at our fucking phones all day long and our computers here we are doing we're, we're having a conversation on the computer, right? And we're going to yeah. put it on the internet. At least there is another real person on the opposite yeah, side, yeah, which is right. not no, usually and, the case. Uh, and literally, but, TikTok but, is that, right? Like TikTok but I take your, but I take your, I take your fucking point, though. Yeah, but like TikTok is that, right? It is human interaction. I know that some of it's posturing and whatever, but you know, it's the same posturing that you do when you go to the bar and you get dressed up and you're trying to like meet someone or whatever it is. Like, sure. you're just putting on a show and. Um, but it's still human to human interaction. It's just in a different way. And it's fed to us in a way um, 
one of the things I always used to say when I was uh, doing the high ropes and stuff and, and all of that adventure programming, it was all about conquering fears, right? Um, you know, people, it, it's interesting because my daughter's eight, right? And she's afraid okay. of everything. Um, but she's a kid. She's supposed to be afraid of it. Until she's right. conquered a thing, she should be afraid of it. And it's a healthy thing. Um, we get our driver's license and we steer away from the things that we're afraid of, right? We get in the car Correct. and drive somewhere else. Heights, uh, drowning, burning, spiders, whatever. We just like, we're going to get away from that thing. Yep. We set up our entire lives to steer away from the things that we're not comfortable with. Um, I think that uh, the internet is the ultimate. You can just fill your life with the thing that maybe you couldn't have before yeah. um, because it was far away or expensive or whatever. You can just like consume the same crap all of the time or it could be the same great thing. You know, I mean, it, the internet has done wonderful things for us, but it's also made our lives like less risky. Um, and that is hard when you're a band that is just trying to figure out like how to do this stuff. Yeah. And all it takes is one like bad. It's, es it's especially bad when you've got these talking heads with tens and hundreds of thousands of YouTube views who are sitting there and going, dude, if you do these seven tricks, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to tame Spotify and you're going to be a soup, like all that bullshit. And it's like, it ought to just be a bunch of people sitting there going, write good songs, write good songs. Yeah. Play them. Well, have a thing, have a look, have a stage presence, do what you want to do. And the but, thing that you could do in 2004 is you do all those things you just said, and then you can conquer your hometown. Right. And you can't do that anymore because no, no one is looking at my neighbor's house across the street. I'm not looking for entertainment in this small bubble where you could right. rise to the top of that town and your regional scene relatively quickly and find some sort of mass, you know, and that goes back to capitalism, right? It just and have well and have a collect and have a collective experience. Like I love yeah. how we all have sort of this like Norman Rockwell vision of like, okay, well high school is like, you know, pep rallies and football games. No, for some of us it was house shows and movie night and trivial pursuit some of us were fucking and nerds loneliness to take yes and, and one step further than yes that. like we yes. had three friends that hung out but when those three friends weren't oh old, my god friday night with you know yeah um, like, but but it's that it's that idea of like okay for some of us that sort of like cultural rite of passage was these kinds of shows that you're talking about in my yeah. case, it was it was going to co-op house shows while I was still in high school. Yeah. And it was finding a way to sneak into Rick's so that I could go see the Hannibals or sneaking into the Land Shark so I could go see somebody else, you know, yeah. Radio Caroline or whatever. Are kids going to shows anymore, let alone sneaking into shit? I'll, I'll be honest with you, Nate. I, I drive I drive Uber as my full time gig now. I'm hearing horror stories about like 60, 80 and hundred dollar covers on weekends and holidays and special events just to get into like Harper's to pay regular bar prices, not to see a band or have there be a DJ or an event just of some kind. admission price to be just without just the cool kids, right? To, just to get out of the line and get into the mess. It, 
Yeah, I mean, do kids go to shows? Yeah, well, it, yes and no, because we had a show last night with this uh, emo, screamo, metalcore kind of thing called TX2. Um, young kid, or, well, he may not be young, I don't know. You can hardly tell these days, like, that kid <laughs> could be 16 or 32, but whatever. Right, right. Um, he has a significant like Gerard way, my chemical romance thing going on. And okay. he's, he's really talented. He's really effervescent. He kind of has the star power and the okay. crowd was really young. Um, but I think it's rarer than it was. Cause all of those people went to the loving touch, which is an all ages venue. Uh, it's called the loving touch. So I'm sure it puts off some parents to like drop their kids off. And sure. Safe. But like anywhere that I got dropped off when I was a kid, my parents were nervous as hell about whether it was Rollerama or whether it was the pool hall or whatever, you know, like right. you get dropped off at 16 and everything's scary going back to my point. Um, but yes, they go to shows, but they mostly go see Taylor Swift. They mostly go see 21 pilots. They mostly go see bad bunny. They mostly go to like these arena shows at the same places that the parents go watch football games and hockey games and whatever, and for some reason, that 20,000 person atmosphere is feels safer and more, um, which I think is insane if you think about it. It's uh, nuts. Than like going to your local pyramid scheme or whatever. Um, it's also, so like I, I kind of see my job and I don't, I don't know how you position yourself on this front, but like part of my duty kind of now is like sort of an elder statesman of like the the DIY scene I feel is to like kind of offer some sage wisdom occasionally that you know like a this shit does not just sustain itself like you have to invest in it and what I what I always tell people is I'm like we talked about this earlier but like where do you think those people playing in football stadiums came from yeah they had to learn how to do that somewhere Somewhere like the, 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 like some of them were 3D printed in a lab somewhere. I'm, sure. And I don't even mean that, like, I say things like that about, you know, your Taylor Swift's, your Justin Bieber's, your whoever. Taylor well, they Swift's seem one of the most talented, effervescent, like, appealing human beings that has ever walked the face of this earth. Yes. Pays off. But without the plan, it doesn't seem human. The corporate power of, of Taylor Swift is way more impressive than the human being of Taylor Swift. Correct. Um, one of the bands that I have like the deepest history with that, you know, they've gone on and they, they don't even know that I exist anymore or maybe never did, but I, I did 21 pilots very, very early on. Okay. In their thing. Um and you could just tell that they, you know, talking about going back to the idea of like a band that tells you what they want, you know, yeah. that the singer of that band, Tyler, from the beginning said, we're going to be one of the biggest bands in the world. And he just carried that, carried himself like that. And they made it happen. And it doesn't mean that they are a plant or anything. They're incredibly talented. They're incredibly uh, uh, appealing on stage and they just know how to make an entire arena move. But like even back in the day when they played the Pike Room that was half full um, and then they came and played the Loft and they sold that out on a $12 ticket. 
um and in the basement before the show i just went down and asked do you need anything dude and i just introduced myself and i said hey i just sent your agent an offer for you to play common ground festival next year in front of macklemore um and he just kind of like he was pre-show so he was like hyping himself up he was bouncing around like a boxer about to get yeah. married, you know he's like we're gonna be bigger than macklemore by next year and i was like cool that's not what i said but all right i'm glad you're here dude go kill him and you did he went up and they just you know the whole place just went absolutely ape shit and the floor was like gonna cave in the crowd was bouncing so much and then he came off and he ended up playing they ended up playing uh common ground the following year macklemore didn't confirm but we ended up with mgmt and awol oh right and 21 pilots was the first of three and they opened and that dude climbed the scaffolding and was hanging upside down from the rafters 40 feet above the stage that night. And it's still one of the most talked about like common ground shows ever. And again, like going back to 21 pilots, nobody, nobody's talking about like the DIY ethic of 21 pilots, but that band was a band that like, they would always play. They were the ultimate fake it till you make make it in a, in a way where they just brought it to the level that they wanted next you know that the show you, was always bigger than the stage given to them they you never, play to the you play to the room that you want to play the next time you come through yeah, that city yeah and, and uh and they videotaped everything they were on it early with social media that's smart they knew that they would film all the shows where they were opening Dude, that's... for someone else and they would show this field full of people in their videos. And it's like, they're only playing clubs right now, but they got that one festival look and then they hired a film crew that made them look huge. And then they'd also do the same thing with their hometown plays where they'd be playing a 300 cap in Chicago, but they'd play 1400 people in Columbus because there was still a regional dialect back then where you could ramp up your home audience. They recorded it. And then they used that as the pitch deck for the next set of things, music videos and you know, trying to get booking agents and trying to get labels into them. And they've just, you know, it, it, it's just wild to think about like, but like that, that requires a machine, right? Even if right. it's, even if it's due to our friends, it requires more than the four or five guys who are in the band. Yeah. Like I, I can speak to this personally. I mean, we are recording our stuff, mixing our stuff, not mastering, but, um, maybe sending out a little bit of stuff on the back end i'm doing all the art we do our own video like we're doing everything and we're doing yeah. everything because we don't have any money to spend and exhausting. and we're and we're good at it and just to some degree but it's fucking exhausting and what happens is you wind up spending 60 or 70 percent of your time sort of like managing and promoting yourself and 25 or 30 percent of your time actually doing anything related to music well, and that's where that's that brings us to 2023, right? Yeah, it sure does. Um, the struggle has become the corporate control of the data. Going back to the data, Spotify. Okay. Spotify has all the data, and they can use it to line Spotify's pockets. They could quite easily allow. They have enough data flowing through that company where we all listen to all of our music on Spotify right now. Yeah. Not all, but most. They could release the control of that data to where we could all reach the fans that we're building, um, whether we're a promoter or venue or, uh, you know, whatever. Right. Uh, especially on the artist side. 
if you could reach the artist, the, the, the listeners free of charge, just like I can message and they just release that data for us to use, the world would change. The world would 100% change. And I, I feel like that about every corporation that controls every, you know, whether it's Amazon, whether it's Facebook, whether it's Walmart, whether it's whatever, like if that power that they have accumulated could then be used to lift up individual creators, small businesses, et cetera, and you could use that. But the thing is, is that they, you know, and Zuckerberg is the, I think the chiefest amongst them in that he's built Facebook and then Instagram basically to harvest the data but then you have no control over what you were talking about earlier. I have 3,000-ish ballpark Facebook friends, right? Yeah. And I could post something. I posted something the other night about a game night. You know, I should get a game night going. And not a single anything, right? Yeah. It's like, what makes you feel lonelier on this earth than having 3,000 Facebook friends that you've worked for 15 years? Yeah. Not worked, but you've and done not a- and not a goddamn one of them likes your idea. And you can't, yeah, you can't reach them. You can't reach them. And and like, but the thing is, is that we all think that we all believe because we're told by that guy that you were, you know, talking about earlier. Yeah, there are the seven things on the yeah. on YouTube, oh, yeah. on TikTok, and whatever. And all all of these companies, they're not gathering data for you. They're gathering no. data for themselves. And, and it's and the thing is, it's my data. It's my information. It, it seems, be, but it's not. It seems like it seems like there text. there it seems like there would be some sort of uh, Fourth Amendment rights that are being violated in some way. But well, um, and, and even the even the victories, right? Like, so you look at Bandcamp, for example, and I know you probably have you know some pretty considerable experience yeah, with Bandcamp. I do. Great platform, uh, done a lot of great things for artists over the years. And even that got bought by somebody and they laid off half the company and like, yeah. it's just trash now. It's absolute garbage. And, yep. you know, some of the things that they've done that are good for artists are still there. You can still message your followers or whatever, but it never reached the 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 fever pitch of a Spotify or a Facebook or anything like that as far as its reach goes. And I'm going to dovetail this because this is what I worry about. And this is kind of where I want to go next yeah, yeah. because we were talking about how people live inside their phones. Yeah. And now we're talking about how all the media they get is coming out of their phones. And we've been talking about sort of this cyclical nature of like, this was the end of sort of the physical analog DIY era when you came in. And what you might say is you might go, okay, well, we're on this 20 year cycle. Maybe it's time to go back to that. That seems impossible when you can't extract people from their fucking phones. Like, how am I supposed to reach people when they won't even look outside this little window? Right? Like, that's I, that's the fear that I have. It's not that people... I don't worry that young people don't love music. They just they just don't know it's a thing. They just, they're just not aware. Nobody's, had, nobody's said to them, oh, that's really cool. I want to... You get them... You teach them to go do that that'll be the thing they're paying a hundred bucks to go do on a Friday night. No, see, it's not that they don't love music. I think they love music more than any more. Than That's what I mean. I think they love music. I think I they, think just, they just, don't just don't have, know. Nobody is inspired to make it a, because someone else can make it or what they are inspired to make happens on their phone and on their computer and not with an instrument. As I see your guitar over the, you know, over yeah. the shoulder there. Um, it's certainly cheaper to be an artist today than it is when, 
Yeah, it was I mean, when I got started. <laughs> I mean, look, that, you know, I, I think about every thing that brings me joy in life, whether it's playing games or, you know, games have evolved, right? I used to play games with my grandma and that meant like Yahtzee and Monopoly. And now right. I play games with my daughter and that means Xbox and Pokemon Go and sure. whatever else. And th those things aren't inherently better or worse than no for them um they're just different but um but i think what's missing is that when you make a thing and it just exists on your phone you're not having a communal experience you're not yeah. playing that in a vfw hall in front of 150 people you're not having that moment where a community is coming together even if that community is the 12 people that we were talking about earlier yeah. Like it's just one person staring into their phone and maybe they send it to their friend and their friend listens to 10 seconds of it. Right. And, and that, you know, that plays out in so many different places, whether it's going to a restaurant and seeing everybody sitting at the bar with their phone in front of them. Yeah. Um, you know, I, we just bought a nice house in a neighborhood with kids and everything, but you wouldn't know that there are kids here because it's like, they're not outside playing, you know? It is right. nice, actually. There's like a group just down the street that actually plays outside almost every day. Whether it's oh, that's awesome! And it's like, oh my gosh, kids still play outside, but like, you know, generally it's. And this sounds like old man yells at cloud, right? But I think it's accelerating in a way that is uh, untenable for certain industries. Now, obviously, I don't need a news a, a newspaper that is printed on newsprint you know but i have I, I, the replacement isn't better the replacement of what i used to read in the detroit news or the local paper is not better it's it's an algorithm fueled uh clickbait machine um well it used to be okay so this is another thing where i think this permeates culture at large but let's talk about journalism specifically sure. it used to be that you would say phrases like the news you trust no one talks about trust anymore. No. It's come here to get your viewpoint reiterated back to you. Yeah. It is entertainment, not journalism. And so when you took the newsroom and you made it the same as the rest of the TV studio, and it, and for a long time, most people don't know this, for a long time, the networks ran their news organizations at a loss. They just said, this is the budget for our news organization. We we have journalistic journalistic ethics. Sure. We yeah. don't generate profit. So the news the news division costs this, and then we make this from the rest of the network, and that's how we justify the cost. Yeah, that's yeah. not how it's done anymore. No, no one does it that way. No. And so now that it's now that it's profit based, well, you're never going to follow the truth first. You're always going to follow the money. Yeah, I mean, my you know, just little microcosms everywhere. But my wife um, is a director of a dance program in, in Heartland schools. Um, and she's also become involved with the gymnastics program as we bought this house and she needed more hours. And there's only so many hours a day you can teach dance, but you can teach little kids gymnastics in the afternoon. So she does that. And, you know, they have a minimum like uh, enrollment to run a class. Okay. Because each class needs to break even. Right. It's like if the program is breaking even, isn't there an investment that could be made in like having a class run a little bit under break even 
to invest in younger kids that'll stick with the program forever, but they just don't think like that. They're just like, this class is not to the, you know, the level where we're paying for the teacher. What if we, what if we looked at it like this and I don't want to be sort of uh, merciless about it, but if you wanted to look at it from a purely business standpoint, maybe the better way to look at it would be, boy, we have, we have 10 kids who are in the last two years of this in each year. And that's 20 kids. And we really like that money. And we've got, we've only got nine kids down here in the first year. And if we take the money from those, those last two years, that'll add up to a little bit. But if we take these nine kids and we add it up for the eight years, they're going to be in the program. That's a whole lot more money. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of just shutting that down and going, well, we don't have a, we don't have an intro class this year. Sorry. Yeah. You know, or whatever. It's just, it's well, just a shame. And to take it back to music, like, you know, Spotify is, is maybe rightfully become the, um, the guinea pig, not the guinea pig, the, uh, the scapegoat. The scapegoat. Yeah. Some animal. Uh, some animal that's has awful. become has become the scapegoat of what's wrong, right? And and I get it because they created a thing where basically I've got the entire recorded history of music in my fingertips on my phone for $10 a month, no right. matter how much music I consume, which is a beautiful thing for a consumer. And really, it's a great thing for, you know, discovery. It's amazing. As a user, it's incredible. It's amazing. Yeah, but for the industry and for the uh, individual creators, it's not it's not good. Um, but you know, it's also the the argument of like putting that back in the bottle is just not it's not a it's not no a, it, it it I so I have and I think you and I've talked about this a little bit, but I have a million thoughts about this, and very few of them are favorable to Spotify. Sure. Um, but my in a nutshell, my my belief system is if you can give Joe Rogan $100 million and then you can pay $100 million to apologize for hiring Joe Rogan and you can give $100 million to an AI defense contractor and you can give $220 million to Barcelona FC, maybe you could just take all of that money and actually pay the people who right. make the product that you're getting fucking loaded off of in the first place. Yeah. And maybe what needs to happen is you need to have a new congressional act like the radio act that took place in the late forties, where they said, here's the rate of pay. Yeah. Here's the new system. Here's the new standard. Here's what you're going to pay. Yeah. Well, and ultimately here's, here's what it comes down to, dude. And I'll take it back to live, you know, live nation is a company. They, they released uh, an article that said that Michael Rapino, who's the, the CEO and president of live nation um make something like 5000 times or 50000 i don't know some number that i can't even fathom m- more than the average employee salary at their company and that's just the employee salary that's not taking into account the artists and what they're paying right. and all that kind of thing right or part time crew or people like that any company and and like the the numbers were a little dubious so let's just say it was 5,000 times. Let's say I'm yeah. the CEO of a company that you work at and I make 5,000 times what you, you are worth. You are worth 5,000 times whatever productivity I provide. Right. That, right. Is, that is fundamentally. It's insane. Un, 
and it's 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 actually mathematically impossible for that to be a true value sure right right Right. it's like saying that michael jordan was five thousand times better than the next basketball no like he was he was maybe one and a half times better the next best basketball right and like and he was dominant in that way and and so you know i i don't i'm not one that subscribes to the idea of like some governmental cap on what people could make and all these kind of things but like if you work for or you derive your income from a company that operates in that way and i i think his number was it was like you know it said it basically said live nation's average salary was $25,000 which is like that's not a real that takes into account like the people that work one shift at the door per week, you know, because I'm sure that's not their average full-time salary, but even if it was, it doesn't matter like 5,000 times or whether it was 2,500 times. Yeah. That was underreported by half or whatever. It's, it's, it's It's still still ridiculous. Like there's a company being run by one individual who a you've allowed to get to that point B who thinks he's worth that and accepts that payment and doesn't pass that down through the, Right. And this is the thing that every Jeff Bezos, uh, Daniel Eck at Spotify, uh, Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, they all believe that they're worth this kind of money and that everybody beneath them. It's a it's an I alone can fix it mentality. It's I am I'm I'm no, I think it's I think it's an irreplaceability. It's such a massive ego. It's I'm a genius. I'm a once in a lifetime mind. And you should pay me once in a lifetime dollars. And, and they it, truly believe it. It's like a joke I heard the other day. Uh, what's the difference between uh, a doctor and God? God doesn't believe he's a doctor. Right, right. Yeah. Right. You and know, it's, it's like that kind of, of fucking ego that's required to think that you're entitled to that kind of money at the expense of other people's lives and livelihoods. And, and, and but, but what's happened is that Live Nation, similar to every governmental agency in the planet or, or government or whatever, has created an ecosystem to where the only way that you can get even to your goal as a band who wants to sustain themselves financially off of touring or to be a, a talent buyer, marketer, production person who can pay for a regular house in a regular neighborhood like I'm in, you almost have to work for Live Nation. You have to, and if you're a touring artist, you have to play the Live Nation game. And the way Live Nation works is if you don't give them the Detroit show, they're not giving you the festival offer in Europe. They're not giving you the tour buy where you get to support, you know, freaking Luke Bryan or whatever. You have to play the game fully. There's no way you can tell them no in any format. And if you stand up to them, your career is over. Your career is 100% done because there is no artist that you can see anywhere in the world right now that has said no to Live Nation and is still big enough to have pedestrian value in any fashion. Wow. I'll tell you that every artist in the world that my mom knows is in bed with Live Nation. It just is what it is, right? It's and it's, you know, there's there's just no one. There's not a single artist out there that says we will not play Live Nation gigs so, because of the brokenness of the So thing. you've got this, you've got this sort of single-headed snake that runs the live game. 
And then you've got this single-headed snake that runs streaming and Apple's a little offshoot. But like I looked the other day, Apple and Spotify, just the two of them globally occupy half of the paid streaming market in the entire world. In the US, it's like 85%. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 virtually a it's it's. If the, you're not it, on Spotify, you might as well have not. You might as well not. Well, that's and that's the thing. When I bitch about Spotify to my friends or whatever who aren't musicians, they're like, "Why don't you just take your music off of there, and just and never get booked again?" Why don't I light my guitar on fire real quick for you? Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. yeah, and it's it it it's. Uh, I don't want to put across this tone that there's not ways to ethically stand up for yourself and all that and fight back but um but we've we've spent an hour now talking about the fact that this was never an easy game (laughs) it's gotten exponentially more difficult it's gotten more and more uh congealed at the top in terms of the forces who are controlling all of the power and the money yeah and we are funneling everyone's attention into the devices that those companies own. I think it's fairly safe to say that the situation is dire, dude. It is. I mean, it doesn't mean that it's it, it doesn't mean that it's hopeless, but so, it means it means that to use a word you used earlier that I that I love, it's untenable. It's an untenable situation. It, the, if, I'm using the snakes are are going to eat themselves. Yeah, and the algorithm will just feast upon itself until there's nothing left. It's untenable if you're trying to make a living at it. But the, what they've what they've done though, in exchange for um, the the control of your career to the point where you have to go through them to make a living at it, is they've lowered the barrier of entry. So that anyone can record music now, anybody can release right. music, and that's a wonderful thing. That is a it thing is. that is a beautiful part of this era, is that anybody can release music. And look, art and commoditizing art is a is a controversial thought from from the go, right? Like this idea that something that Banksy creates is worth. 10 million dollars and something that looks just like it that some asshole off the street created that costs you know sells for five dollars it like it's so hard to justify for me um the commoditization of art in any fashion and it and it creates a uh for me and for a lot of my friends that are in this business an imposter syndrome right and especially when um the world's on fire you know bombs are falling in gaza and uh you know all the heaviness that this world is right now you know anybody who makes any sort of music in art or any sort of money in art excuse me or in music or an entertainment or whatever you're so grateful you're so grateful for that absolutely dollar that ten dollars the twenty dollars whatever it is that you because make. it's not and i don't want to step on you but like it's not the it's not the i mean the money's a part of it but the yeah. money is a symbol of an investment in you yeah it's it, somebody saying hey you did good kid we liked it it goes back to that payoff that was the answer. Maybe this is a good way to wrap this up because I feel like we could go for five hours here. 
um and my kid's gonna want tacos soon but like well um, now i want tacos yeah, soon right? taco thursday <laughs> over here um right but, on. um it goes back to the the payoff right you asked why i still do this yeah um why anybody still does this and, and the payoff is is the thing we're looking for in life right like in, in pretty much everything that we do whether it's professionally or whatever you know you you have friends for the moments that friends spend together you have uh, a house because it pays off in a certain way you have everything has like a, a return on the investment right and and uh musicians and artists are so truly grateful and they 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 uh it, it it's life altering fulfillment basically to get have one person tell you that a song meant something to you that a show that you played meant something you know um and that keeps us going and I just think that there, you know, there's people who are preying on that in the same way that people are preying on um, food security, um, sure. clean water, housing. There's somebody, there's somebody profiting on every every. Oh, absolutely. Of the yeah, I mean, condition, right? I mean, we and, just we just find new ways to just drill down deeper into the, yeah. the shithole of late and stage think, capitalism. But I think the positive side of that for my, the positive side, the positive side of human suffering. No, um, <laughs> why I'm still in this, maybe this answers the question better is that I feel like there's a better way forward. There's a more fair way, a more equitable way forward that I can be a part of. And yes, I have to draw a paycheck to keep this roof over my head. I have to draw a paycheck to take care of my family all those kind of things. And I have to find an ethical way to, to feel like I can it's a, withdraw it's a, that from the, the equation while being a positive net influence on the thing. And that's what gets me up. That's what gets my competitive juices flowing is knowing that there's a Rapino, knowing that there's a Zuckerberg, knowing that there's a, a Jeff Bezos who is literally sucking every, you know, dollar out of it and re reinvesting it in themselves. Um, and we're not those people. So we're taking the money that we believe we deserve, that we believe independent artists deserve, that independent venue owners deserve, and we're reinvesting it in our communities and in the people around us. And we're just extracting enough to get to the next day. And, you know, that probably means I will die working you know i'm not going to retire someday in some in in the same way that maybe you know my well i hope my dad retires next year my god he needs to stop working but um you know i don't think there's retirement on my plate at all because i just don't you know i'm never going to extract enough uh right because i want to put it back into what we're doing and it's just it's it's an ethical difference um and that that to me is what i think would define diy in the year 2023 is admitting that there's a an economy to everything but being the one that's not willing to extract enough like i want to extract enough to get my value for myself and and just define value for what i do without having it affect others in a negative and and i think uh one of the so i was 50 years old before i learned the really learn the lesson of going, look, I need to be able to ask you for a little bit of money back from this. Yeah. And I went on tour this summer for two weeks and did a house show thing. 
And I came back not only in the black, I made a little money. Now yeah. it was gone in a heartbeat. Sure. But but it felt good to pay for a thing and come home with some money in my pocket and pay a few bills. That felt mm-hmm. really amazing. I spent 25 years playing shows and had never felt that because I'd always been afraid to ask for that. Yeah. And and that, you know, that ethic of like being selfless to the point of like starving yourself. I think COVID helped with that a little bit because everything got peeled away. All of those things that we used to define ourselves. And there's so many people in my life that like leveled up during that time when they had a second to breathe and look at this and say, I have value, whether it's talking to their employer and asking for more money when they came back or defining their situation better, uh, working from home, finding a new gig, finding a new hobby, uh, taking care of themselves better physically, finding running or swimming or all these things. Like all these things, we, we peel back the 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 pressure of performing and like being a honorable and, and profitable or not profitable, uh, um, productive member of society. And we take that pressure off of us for a little bit. And, you know, I would never want COVID to happen again clearly because of everything that happened no but, but there was a moment there where we all the kind of got lightings to... there is that so we many took a deep us, breath yeah we all just went and we and we found a different rhythm that uh, also worked to you go know? back to what you were talking about about value uh and the ceo versus employee thing this is where i will leave you with mm-hmm. with a uh, covid um ask people how they got through covid they didn't they didn't call up a CEO and have the CEO entertain them. They yeah. put records on and they read books and they watched movies and they played games and they played video games and they engaged with art. And that art got them through a once in a century crisis. Yeah. A CPA didn't do that. Uh, a, a, a tech guru didn't do that. Uh, a hedge fund manager didn't do that. An yeah. artist did that. I collected tapes over here. Yeah. And I built Legos over there. It was just a little Star Wars game. Yeah. I engaged with people. Yeah. 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 I mean, art and and love for yeah. each other. And, and gratitude. And yeah. And ultimately, like, when somebody needed help, we stepped up and helped them. And yeah, we got little checks from the government and those were cute. Yeah. Got, yeah those were cute. You know, some of us, <laughs> they some, were helpful, but they yeah. came often too little too late. Yeah. Um, right. But, I, I'll tell you, speaking of gratitude, I'm, I'm grateful that 20 years in, you're still doing this. Me too. And uh, I just hope 20 years from now, it's even still here, you know, and that's me too. I think that's the thing I have. I, I have less concern about myself individually and more concern about the the foundation that we're all sitting on. But I also think that similar to, you know, I hate that everything's COVID, but it's such a huge part of our last five years, right? Um, you know, I think the when the foundations crumble like that, it was awesome to see us rally and build a new foundation to build on. And I, I think that, the music business in general is is at a precipice. It's at a point where it's the, the going back to that word untenable. It can't continue forward in the way that it's continuing. No. Um, and 
and I think we're gonna step up. I hope. I don't know. Maybe not. I, the question is the question is how will it change, and then how how much better or worse will that be, and what do people do? So if it gets better, my hunch is people are just gonna get apathetic again. If it gets worse, which is what I expect, uh, especially based on the recent news out of Spotify, um, if it gets worse, the question is, will people be called to action? You know? Um, yeah. Yeah. And, I, uh, and, you know, I always hate trying to put the um, the onus on the people to be the ones to fix things. Um, the only thing that changes in this world is what you spend or don't spend your money on. Yeah, that's the only thing that changes shit. Yeah, and that's, you know, the the response to the Taylor Swift thing is is interesting with the ticketing fees and all that. I mean, that stuff the the, the top end pricing has just gotten to the point where oh Jesus, we don't even I can't even tell you how much a Taylor Swift ticket costs, but it doesn't matter how much it costs. That's the crazy. That's what I'm talking about with like putting the onus on the general public to exact change, because obviously they don't really care. You know, like they're going to pay whatever it costs. But there's also like there's also this disconnect that I don't understand. Like you go, I can get all the music I want in the world for free, but it's cheaper for me for me to go to the one concert I can afford to go to this year if I fly to Sweden to go see it. Like you don't look at that and go, boy, that seems upside down. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But also you get to go to Sweden. So that's pretty freaking cool. Absolutely. But yeah. like at the same, but like at the same time, you have to look at that and go, okay, this sure. is fucked. This is fucked yeah. up. No, at some point, I mean, at some point, you know, the government will step in and break it up or something's going to happen. You know, you, you think there's been so many positive things that have come from like the security side from the Travis Scott incident and the, some of the, you know, safety incidents and things like that. And there's, there's positives that comes from the negatives there's silver linings and everything. And I think, you know, as long as we're continuing to be the people that are looking for the silver lining to share it amongst everyone, as opposed to looking for the silver lining to uh, expose it and profit individually off of it. You know, I feel like we're on the right side of history, you and I, and people like us and, and, you know, as long as, uh, do the best you can table. Uh, that's uh, do the best you can with what you have and make tacos. Yes. This was great. My friend, I really appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks dude. I appreciate it. Oh, this was great. I hope we can uh, maybe do this again in a few months and catch up and maybe talk about some specific shows and some kind of bands on the rise and maybe make it it music centric next. Well, I knew this was music. I knew this was going to happen because I knew it was going to wind up being a logistics conversation and that's okay. Uh, So next time we'll actually talk about songs. Hell yeah. Let's do it. All right, man. I'll see you soon. All right. Make it happen. Thanks, bud. All right. Enjoy the tacos. Yeah. See you, buddy. Peace. Thanks so much to Nate DeRoe for being here. What a great conversation. Does that give you a clearer idea of the fight that artists are up against in terms of live music? 
and maybe just a tiny little taste of why things are so expensive and uh, what the real reasons for that are. I, I hope it does. I also hope it encourages you to go and see a local or a regional band sometime very soon. If you love live music, I'm going to keep saying this. If you love live music, go see a local band because you're going to find something that you love and it's going to be right there. It's going to be amazing. It's going to change your life and it's going to be almost free. Uh, although we did learn that there's no such thing as a free show. That's uh, that's important lesson to learn. Uh, thank you again for being here. Make sure you go over to whatamimaking.substack.com. Read the blog posts. Check everything out. Make sure you're subscribed. Consider a paid subscription. Like, rate, and review this podcast wherever you listen. Thank you again to my dear friend David J. Baldwin for the awesome theme music as always. I will see you on the flip side, my friends, and report to you from Asia. I love you. Bye-bye.